When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the season four premiere of the How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams podcast. I'm your host, author and entrepreneur, Emily White. So this season is a live UK podcast tour. I am so excited. Um, This is the number one music business podcast in the UK and globally. Personally, I have been a lifelong Anglophile, so this is like a dream I couldn't even have imagined. Um, So we're gonna be traveling around, um, highlighting different music scenes, interviewing leaders in in, uh, various music communities, uh, and taking you through the entire modern music industry over 12 episodes from recording to release or creation to execution. So today we're here in Bradford, England. Um, That's my Midwestern American accent coming up, Bradford. I'm sure that's not how you guys say it at all. But we're in Bradford, England, um, in the north, kind of near Leeds. I've been at the Leeds Festival, so if you know the Reading and and Leeds Festival for our international listeners. Um, So we're here at the Kala Sangam Arts Center, which is absolutely amazing. And... This episode is called Get Your Art Together, um, which I'm going to get into in a second. But first, I really want to thank The Word from the Ivers Academy for making this tour happen. Um, So just some info on them. Supercharge your knowledge and career in the music business and in the live environment with 14-day Kickstarters, 12-week boot camps, and and a full validated diploma, all online. Maximum flexibility, maximum impact, Get more info at the word, that's W-R-D, so no vowels in that, dot uh, UK. And it's a bunch of really amazing folks from the Ivers Academy who are also committed to uh, supporting underrepresented artists and really changing the face of the music industry. So, okay, so get your art together. What does that mean? You know... I meet musicians all the time that, you know, want to skip ahead to marketing or PR or spreading the word, but then they'll also say to me, like, well, I need to work on my vocals or I need a new drummer, right? So there's no point in skipping ahead to future episodes or chapters of uh, the book this podcast is based on if you're not making art that's true to your heart, your soul, and your spirit. You know, that's what's going to last for the long term. If everyone could just skip to chapter seven on how to market with or without a budget and become big or whatever, then like everyone would do that, right? So um, 
I have some excerpts from uh, this chapter because it's just something I, I believe in so much. I, I meet artists all the time where, again, they're just kind of getting ahead of themselves, and I'm like, chapter one, chapter one, chapter one. So first and foremost, one must make great art to be successful. Something inside compelled you to attend tonight or listen or watch, which means that you have a creative spirit within. What's exciting to me about the modern music industry is that anyone can have a career and now more than ever, careers come in a variety of sizes. This is because musicians can now record and distribute on their own and therefore the amount of people doing so is basically infinite. With more music and content in the world than ever, one must truly be great to build a career at any level. At the same time, anyone who does so can have a career. There are no limits on what to create, as the vast majority of musicians making art today aren't legally bound to any sort of, uh, sort of approval of their music before release. Like, not to you know, go into too many history lessons, but in the pre-digital era, you would, one, have to sign your rights away to be able to uh, afford recording, um, as well as access the keys to distribution when music was a physical product, but the label also would have approval over the music you put out. Um, Neil Young famously um, made a bunch of albums that he considered to be like not commercial um, to try to get out of his contract, but the label can say like, no, like you don't, I think Neil Young got sued for not sounding enough like Neil Young, okay? So that was like the weird world we were in before, but now, you know, you can create a space opera, a single, an EP, an album, whatever you want. So whether it's a solo songwriter or someone making beats at home, the sky is truly the limit on the type of art that you can put into the world. Therefore, before you move on to the next chapter or episode, get your art together. You know better than anyone when the art that you're making is the full and true expression of yourself and ready for the world. And if you wanna be a pop star, Beyonce and Taylor Swift are incredible at connecting with their audiences in an authentic manner. My point is that more often than not, artists with lifelong careers are genuinely themselves. They're not trying to be something they are not and aren't making music that they think, that they think they're supposed to make. Great art comes from within and being genuine to your vision and spirit is going to be what connects with people for the long term. Anything else is not gonna last for the long haul. So it's time to get your music together before I teach you how to build a career throughout the remaining 11 episodes of this season. Get your songs together, assuming you're a songwriter, and if you're not, get your writers and or co-writers together and figure out how you want to make the music you have in mind. Once your art is in place, where you're ready to say, this is the music I am so proud of and is the best representation of who I am, what I do, and what I want to create and put into the world, then you're ready. So let's get into it. I'm thrilled to introduce our esteemed guest, artist and industry leader, uh, Sinead Campbell. Welcome, Sinead. Hi. Um, okay, so oftentimes I read a bio at the beginning of episodes, but like you are such a multi-hyphenated force that I just wanna get into it. So let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from Bradford, <laughs> so yes, in, in my home city right now. Wow, I, I was hoping that would be the answer because you, as folks will hear, have done so much to support this music scene and really make it thrive and flourish. Um, but again, we're starting at the beginning. So 
you're a dancer, you studied theater, you're a soul singer. Tell us about yourself as an artist, first and foremost. Mm. Maybe where you've been and where you're going. Yeah, where have I been? Okay, so um, for me, I am just a creative through and through. And when I say that, I mean, I'm always full of ideas and excitement and enthusiasm. And sometimes I almost have too many ideas and I have to rein it in a little bit and kind of funnel that vision into something that is realistic and achievable. Um, so yeah, I basically... Sorry to interrupt. How do you rein in those ideas or how do you decide which ideas to go with? Um, Sometimes that's my partner um, telling me off and saying, come on, Sinead, do you really have time for that? <laughs> so sometimes that's what I have to do. Uh, other times it's just about time management and actually realistically getting the diary out and planning my days in, uh, which is something I've had to work on over time. I'm much better at it now than I was five years ago, let's put it that way. So um, yeah, it's just about also staying aligned with what my key love is and interest is and where my heart lies because sometimes those ideas they sound great but I'm like actually is this what my heart wants and is that part of my overall vision and goal and that sometimes then cancels out some of the other ideas as well beautiful so back to you as an artist tell us about you as an artist where you've been where you're going so um yes I've done many things in the past from dancing theater um I've always loved performing I've always loved singing I think as a young child music was what really brought me to life um it was a sanctuary for me um nature is also very much a sanctuary so when I'm connected in nature I feel very creative very much in the flow and um I just knew when I was younger I wanted to be on the stage and perform um, so kind of being from a very much working class family mm-hmm. my mum didn't have much money when I was younger I wasn't you know lucky enough to be able to take guitar lessons or singing lessons or any of that stuff so I just had to kind of gather you know CDs <laughs> gosh I feel really old saying that but CDs in my room and just practice and just yeah keep that dream alive whilst taking any opportunities that they were at school. So, for example, if there were after-school classes or theatre shows, I would put myself forward and audition. So I managed to build my skills that way. And then when I was old enough to go to university, I applied and went to do theatre over in York. Um, So it was great doing theatre. At the time, I wasn't sure where I wanted to be in terms of performing. I just knew I wanted to perform. So I did theatre and I made sure that I had voice and singing within that when I was kind of presenting my work. And I also, at that time, was in the dance society and I used to teach classes at the time. So I was teaching street dance, contemporary dance and commercial dance. So I had free classes that I taught in York at the time as well. So yeah, as time went on, um, I left university... I just started doing auditions um, and just starting to build a bit of a portfolio. And I very much had that attitude in mind, like, I just want to perform. So I just applied for any opportunities that stood out for me. But naturally, as you start to get into the working world, you start to realise, actually, I enjoy this more than this, or maybe this is not quite aligned. So I eventually got a role in France which was as a a cabaret singer, a bit more kind of jazzy. And um, I went to work over there for six months and singing was my main role over there. And I remember one time I did my own um, solo cabaret and the whole room just stood up into a standing ovation. 
And I remember it was just such a special moment because I'd never had like a standing ovation before. And um, I remember someone who I was working really close with at the time just came up and said, do you know, I always wanted to be a footballer and I never fully gave it my all with my dream. It's like promise mission aid, like you'll do something with music and your voice. And I remember like that just really like struck my heart when he said that. Mm -hmm. And I knew there and then I was like, when I go home, I'm gonna pursue a music career. I'd never had any training. I can't read music. I'd never made a song before, but from there, I went back to the UK and I worked from literally the ground up. I didn't know anybody, but from that day on, I just knew I'll get to where I'm going, no matter how long it takes me. Wow, that is utterly beautiful and so inspiring. And also a good reminder to take advantage of the resources that are around us, right? Mm -hmm. It could be a school music class. I, um, I read Ani DeFranco's biography this summer and um, she as a child started playing gigs with her guitar teacher, like her local guitar teacher. And eventually when she had her own label, she ended up putting out his album, you know? So um, yeah, so just a reminder that there's a lot of great, you know, educational and, and community resources around to take advantage of. So I know this is a very timely question. And to me, this is the question that really defines the title of this episode. How do you know when you're ripe and ready to record instead of feeling like um, one might be forcing the process, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, well, this whole episode right now feels very timely for me because I'm actually just about to relaunch my whole music career and fully rebrand. Um, and <laughs> it's a really interesting one because the music... I've been making on the past and it's all been very much part of my journey and all very relevant, you know, at the time, but um, I was still very much finding myself yeah. as a musician. And um, and that's the getting your art together. That part, is getting the art together, yeah. And it's taken a good few years, you know. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you'd have told me that five years ago, I wouldn't have wanted to hear it because I was just wanting it to happen now, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> very impatient, you know, in some ways. However, now looking back, it all makes so much sense. Yeah. And actually, it's been really humbling as well. Yeah. And not only that, but throughout the years and going through different experiences and meeting different people and having just matured, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's actually built my character and I know going forward, as the person I am today, you know, I'm going to be much more in a powerful position, let's say, and, and less likely to maybe fall into sticky situations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not saying who knows what curveballs are out there. However, yeah. you know, I feel much more mature and like I've built my character now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, how do you know when it's ready? Um, for me now, I took a break and mm -hmm. I didn't put a timeline on that break. I knew I just needed to have some space because in the past I've been in situations where I've kind of been working with the algorithms of today and, mm. you know, put a single out, put another single out, put another single out. And for me, it didn't always work that way. So when I'm rushing and trying to meet a deadline, I'm not always checking in to go, actually, is this ready? Does it feel right? Mm. You know, um, and just having that break before I went into the rebrand was super important. Not only did I manage to reconnect with my flow of pure creativity, rather than it being contrived and trying to think up a song. I was almost in the point where I was like, 
I want to write a song like this. Let me sit down and I must write in these next two hours. It wasn't even creative anymore. It was just always strained. And now I've spent time and I've healed and I've reconnected with what it means to be truly in the creative flow, mm -hmm. truly receiving what wants to come through, truly tapping into my authenticity and, and, and straddling that line of where I feel a little bit nervous about what I might be sharing or how I might be sharing it. But when I'm straddling that line, I know that's where the authenticity lies. Yeah. So um, just having that break was the key thing for me and having the space and, and just really going through my values as well. So just knowing my values of who I am and who I am as an artist has helped me then shape that music and to make sure then it is authentic, what I'm making. But then doing that groundwork, when it did come to my days where I would sit and write or I'd get in the studio with my producer, it just, it just really came through so easily and so effortlessly. Um, so for me, when I know it's right, number one, when I'm writing, it has to feel like it's expansive and it's lighting me up. And I always feel really excited. When I've wrote a song that I know is going to be released, yeah. I have like a joy within me. Mm -hmm. So I definitely know from that. And then what I'll usually do is come away from the track for a bit. Once I've got a demo, the first demo that is, I'll step back and then I'll come back to it maybe a few weeks later and on a, on a fresh ear. Yep. And I'll listen again, and then I'll have a bit more of a, you know, a bit more of a, yeah. I'll Pers just perspective. It, yeah, that's yeah. the one, yeah. Um, and then, for me, I work well with other people too. Mm -hmm. So that's about finding the people you trust as well. Yeah. <laughs> and then I might say, okay, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I get not everyone's going to be right or have the right answer. However, there's usually some knowledge, and you know, that comes back from doing that. And then, yeah, I'll usually then make a few tweaks, you know, and then I'll just get a date booked in the studio. Then I've just got to get a date in the diary then. Yeah. It's got to make it happen. Um, but again, it's not so much about once I've got a good enough demo and I've had a bit of feedback and I've maybe taken a bit of that feedback on board, it's just about getting in the studio then and letting the magic happen. Because you can also overdo it as well, you know, mm -hmm. a bit of the feedback, but it was kind of like, now it's time to just get in the studio because if I set the right environment for creativity, for expansiveness, for ideas on the day, book my session musicians, bring them in, mm -hmm. I know the right thing will come through. And I suppose I'm quite spiritual in yeah. my beliefs when it comes to creativity and music, so that helps as well, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm actually recording my new music next week. So this is so timely, this conversation, and I'm so excited. And yeah. Awesome. Well, we can't wait to hear that. And how, I know this is easier said than done. How do you find that creative flow? Like, was it the break that fueled that? Or, how, you know, how, when you enter the studio, how do you, you know, get to that place? Yeah, um, a few things really. Um, I think for me, I had to take a break. That was, I was at the point of burnout. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's also recognizing in yourself when, okay, maybe I just need to take my foot off the gas for a little bit. And yeah. I was at that point. So there was no creativity that was coming through mm -hmm. while I was in that space. And then um, lots of rest, um, checking in with yourself. Um, and for me to get in that creative space, there's been a few different things really, but 
um, the artist's way has actually been a massive help on that journey. Um, so if you haven't heard of it, it's The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Um, that has been really life-changing when it comes to the creative aspect of my life. I do the morning pages every morning, three pages of A4 writing. Um, I've been much better at setting boundaries, so not letting other things creep into my creative time. Um, I've been audacious enough to kind of go, I'm booking myself a weekend away in the Yorkshire Dales to go and feel inspired in nature and write. I would have never done that before because I would have always been making excuses or making other things more important than the creativity. So now my priority is like, yeah, my priority is that like I'm putting my creativity out into the world and that is important, you know, yep. that we share that. So yeah, multiple things, but The Artist's Way, I think, is a fantastic book and you know, it's really accessible for people to get hold of and, and give a go. Love it. And I, I really like that you're highlighting the power of breaks and rest. You know, I'm sure you hear from students all the time too, where they feel guilty, even if they take a Sunday off or a time off or time off. And I tell them like, okay, well, even selfishly, it's going to make you better at what you do. If you do that. like my number one health priority is sleep. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I really appreciate that you're highlighting the power of breaks and, and rest. So you've clearly been a leader from day one. Tell us about the Takeover Fest and your role there. Yeah, oh wow, that takes me back. So when I was at university, I applied um, to be the Associate Director of the Takeover Festival in York and I worked with the York Theatre Royal and basically um, programmed the education department's um, program for two festivals and um, I also created my own children's theatre piece which was an interactive tour that went all around the theatre and we also took them backstage we had like actors dressed up and we had like people baking cakes and coming out with food it was just great because that was all about letting young people take over the, the program of the theatre mm -hmm. and also it's very much about then learning building our skills I got to shadow Juliet Forster who was the associate director at the time and again it was one of them things I went for that I feel was imperative in just building my character you know building my confidence as well yes. you know um, meeting other like-minded people mm -hmm. ambitious people I've always been quite ambitious um, I don't know what it is inside me, but I'm, I'm quite driven. <laughs> so, um, you know, if I set my mind to something, like, I'm going to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the, the Takeover Festival was a really brilliant initiative. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think anything like that, really, that gives work um, opportunities to young people uh, and freedom, you know, mm -hmm. to really create what they want to create, you know, is, is invaluable. Absolutely, and I love how you talk about um, building your confidence in those early days. Like I was a tour manager when I was very young and I used to be intimidated by venues at first and within a couple of years, they became my second home, you know? So you have to, in my experience, push past that fear um, until you're comfortable. And then in my case, I wasn't even challenged by tour managing even more, you know, or anymore. So um, I love that. As I mentioned, we're here in Bradford, England, where you're a music instigator for the Bradford Music Hub. What does that mean? That's such a cool title. Yeah, so music instigator. <laughs> it was very much like this new concept. There's other creative instigators as well in the city, but my 
role being music was very much about focusing on the music scene. So Bradford Producing Hub is an arts council funded pilot and it's actually come to the end of its four-year period now however it's going to be going independent so we're staying around which is brilliant um and once bradford producing hub got going so it's basically about talent development yeah. in the district um they realized that we needed someone focusing on music mm -hmm. so i saw the job and uh, i was like yeah that's my job <laughs> and it's one of them interesting ones because i knew straight away that job was for me mm -hmm. and i had no doubt in my head and i was like I'm getting that job. So I remember doing the application. I did it by video. So I was like, let's get my personality across in the video. And um, yeah, it's very much been about starting first with consultations. So I had to spend a good six, seven months first getting out there, boots yeah. on the ground. Well, I say boots on the ground. It was in 2020. So yeah. we had COVID to tend with, but on the phone at first <laughs> until we could get back out again and very much talking to people in the music scene from venues to producers to artists managers people working you know behind the scenes mm -hmm. um I got out there and just started talking to people in the scene because I thought I can't be good at my job unless I really know where the problems are you know what people want where people are actually at um, from that, I did a bit of a report and highlighted some key areas that need some work in Bradford. And then, yeah, just ever since then, we've just been kind of targeting certain things in those areas. One being, you know, kind of gender equality in Bradford, getting more women platforms, you know, for gig opportunities and training. Um, we've been focusing on um, inspiring the next generation of young promoters and, and yeah. that type of thing. Um, so, yeah, we've just it's been really great and it's been such a rewarding role to have. Uh, and, yeah, we're also, you know, now going to be UK City of Culture. So wow. it's a really exciting time for Bradford. Um, and I just feel like my freelance career has just really started to open up over the past few years. Um, so I suppose you could say it's been a bit of a portfolio career now. It was interesting because I went to Bradford College and did a talk yeah. to the music pupils there. And um, he introduces me and he's like, this is Sinead, she's got a portfolio career. <laughs> that was the first time I'd heard it. And I was like, do I? <laughs> you know? Yes, you but do. I was like, yeah, I suppose I do. Yeah, I do quite a lot of few, you know, different things, really. I love it. Well, Bradford is beautiful. Like I said, I'd never been here. I've been all over the UK. I lived in London for a bit, um, you know, toured a lot. But um, it's it's really gorgeous um so what can other music communities learn about the work that you've done to improve the music scene in Bradford I think the first thing I'm going to say is listen yeah like really like that was the foundation and and really listening as well not just listening for what I want to hear yeah. I had to really be with the tough stories um frustration a lot of anger coming up and I think when you're from a place where maybe the music scene is quite deprived or maybe not where it could be um if you really want to make some changes you have to kind of really do that listening work start from the ground up and also not expect change overnight as well right. it takes time and actually when if you're really doing it as you should be I say should is there really a should but you know if you're doing the work, sometimes there's going to be failure too. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if you're taking a risk, that risk might not pay off, right. but that means you're doing your job and some things will pay off too. So. Absolutely. And again, like I said at the beginning, you can have a career from anywhere now. Like I live in New York City, but I'm originally from a state called Wisconsin 
that's north of Chicago. And, you know, I, I cite this artist a lot, but Justin Vernon from Bon Iver is from northern Wisconsin, which makes um, Bradford look like Mexico City or New York City or something. I mean, northern Wisconsin is just woods. Like, I'm from Milwaukee, which is a city probably pretty comparable to Bradford. Um, but that guy has built an empire in literally the middle of nowhere. So if you have access, you know, to a, a laptop, even a smartphone, you have access to recording, you have access to distribution. Um, you know, we, most of you know how to record, but we have episodes and chapters called how to record with or without a budget. We have uh, episodes and chapters how to market with or without a budget. And I know this information can be really overwhelming, um, but that's why we've put it in order for you. Um, I've been privileged to speak at countless music conferences. I'm sure you have too. And I see musicians in the audience at, you know, events like South by Southwest just grasping at nuggets of information. Like, okay, this is what PRS is. Okay, this is what, you know, PR is, right? Even like similar letters. Um, and I'll suggest to conferences, hey, can we put this information in order? And their response is totally understandable. They're like, well, Sinead couldn't come till Saturday. You couldn't come till Thursday. It's uh, a scheduling thing. And so that's exactly why we've put this information in step-by-step uh, order for you. So, I mean, you pretty much answered this, but what does improving a music scene mean to you? I think it means opening doors and giving a platform and breaking down barriers. Yeah. Because really, music should be accessible to everybody. Yes. Whether it's that you want to express yourself or you want to consume as an audience member. And uh, yeah, I think that's what it's about to me. And I also think it's really important um, to form a real community, mm. you know, like whatever, I always mess up that phrase, but like rising tides raises all boats. Um, that's really, really important. So, you know, your success is my success and it's all about trading notes and collaborating and, and connecting. Um, so that leads me to, you're also the chair of Bradford's music steering group. Tell us about this role. Yeah, so um, the Music Steering Group, it's a body that basically is a voice for music, really, across Great. the district. You know, we have basically the interest of improving the music scene, but it means that we can bring a group of people together to get a bit more of a balanced view, different expertise, different opinions on things. And my role in that is just to, yeah, keep things organised, bring people together, hold space, for the group yeah. sometimes you know some meetings have been difficult at times sure. but it's just about me not putting my personal self forward sometimes as well it's like yeah. no I'm chairing this situation mm -hmm. I'm just holding space for this conversation to take place right absolutely so what is the cultural voice forum and what do you do with your seat at the cultural partnership meetings? Yeah, so yeah, the cultural voice forum is a forum for freelancers in Bradford. And again, another great concept because it's about freelancers in the city having a voice. So yeah. they come to the cultural voice forum meetings right. and then the people who chair that will take the main key points and then feed it into the council and the City of Culture teams, and NPOs in the city. So it's, it's, again, just about everyone having a seat at the table and a voice. Yeah. And the great thing about the Cultural Voice Forum is that anyone's welcome mm -hmm. to come along. So if you're a freelancer, 
yeah, like, if you're in Bradford, get along. But if not, you know, if you don't have this in your area, maybe look at starting something like that for yeah. empowering freelancers. Um, and then with the Cultural Place Partnership Meeting, that is basically a higher strategic board that I sit on that has different people from councillors that sit on it to the culture companies to different chairs from different steering groups. And again, we all come together and then steer at that level. So, yeah, there's lots of meetings and boards and things that I sit on but you know it's all for the the good of music really and I'm always there with my music hat on yes we have so much to learn from Bradford and from you in the United States we don't have anything like that mm. um especially at the well we have some independent organizations but nothing at the government level and I love what you said about going out and listening to people um when will you be running for office <laughs> in all your spare time <laughs> So continuing along that path, tell us about the Bradford uh, Buskival. Yeah, so that was another idea of mine, <laughs> another crazy idea. So it was 2021 and um, we were still very much being hit by lockdown restrictions at the time mm -hmm. and um, these funding grants became available uh, to do some cultural activity in Bradford and I was like, oh, mm, okay, let's sit with that. Yeah. And then I just thought to myself, what could we do with music? And I just thought, well, busking. Like, busking means that we can be socially distanced. Mm -hmm. We can be outdoors. I was like, how about we create a busking festival? Amazing. And we spread it all out across the district and we pop up music in unexpected places. So, yeah, basically, Buskerville was born. Um, so we had everything from um, baseline parties in pub gardens to you know popping musicians in empty shop doorways that weren't being used you know and just highlighting spaces that maybe weren't you know being loved and you know that type of thing we had a summer garden in city park where we had a little mini stage and we we put some performers on there and it was very much about celebrating diversity in music mm -hmm. and also up-and-coming artists to really platform and showcase their work Great. Did anyone attend or perform or anything? All right. Very cool. Love to hear it. So we're also here during Bradford Music Month. I'm so honored to be here um, during Bradford Music Month. What's happening here over the next few weeks? What have you all got planned? Oh, there's so much happening. <laughs> and I'm so happy to be project managing this yes. music month. So, yeah, um, we've got everything from um, sober raves that are family friendly during the day to intimate stripped back kind of tiny desk NPR sure. style gigs we're creating a garden of Eden in a space where we're kind of putting lots of plants and candles and blankets and um, we've got a night of singer songwritery folk mm -hmm. music and then a night of R&B soul vibes okay. we've got a day full of well-being music workshops so you can come enjoy a sound bath sound journey I'm going to be delivering a soul singing workshop um, so yeah we've got all sorts happening we've got DIY magazine coming up to do a mixer and a publication workshop there's so much happening across wow. the whole month I I don't know how you do it but we're gonna get into that um, well no this is a perfect segue please share your work in founding conscious conduit holistic therapy and what I think we, we all know, because you're so busy, but what inspired you to create this? Well, I feel like this, you reminded me how much I actually do. Like, <laughs> So Conscious Conduit is very much my well-being arm of what mm -hmm. I do. And it's nice because I have one-on-one -on -one coaching clients that I coach. Yeah. And it's very much about personal development, 
healing, well-being. Uh, I'm, I'm Reiki trained, mm. so I do hands-on energy healing. Um, and I think that is part and parcel of why I'm able to do so much because yeah. I have healing tools and modalities that I use to ground me, mm -hmm. balance me out, release stress. And that really, really helps. So Conscious Conduit, I set up a few years ago now, and it's basically my platform for any kind of well-being facilitation, creativity coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching. I've done um, healing workshops, sisterhood circles. The list goes on, really. Reiki healing. Um, and it's just, it's, it's the umbrella that, that that sits under, basically. Brilliant. And I think it's really important um, for us as artists, I'm not an artist, but artists and entrepreneurs, right? Artists are entrepreneurs too, to also look back at what we've done. I mean, what we're talking about, you know, in Sinead's career is, has been over years, right? So this might sound like, oh my gosh, like you do so many things. Um, and I, again, I, I couldn't agree with you more on the importance of wellness, the power of wellness. I have a daily routine that is non-negotiable pretty non-negotiable, um, no matter where I am in the world. Um, and I, I run a nonprofit in the US called Hashtag I Voted, and one of our board members was like, oh my gosh, you do so much. Do you sleep? Do you, I don't really like using the word exercise, but do you, you know, do you move? Do you exercise? I'm like, actually, those are my two most important, or those are my top two health priorities, and that's what allows me to do what I do. So um, yeah, I, I'm so glad that you're, you know, sharing that wisdom and knowledge. And also Reiki is amazing. It's just great to reset your energy, you know, ideally like once a quarter, but um, yeah, check it out yeah. for sure. So as a musician, you've released numerous EPs. You're a producer, a songwriter. You've created music videos. You've planned releases, uh, release campaigns, you distribute your own music, and are knowledgeable, not knowledgeable about marketing and PR. And that's obviously what this podcast is all about, and we'll cover it in full over the next 11 episodes. But understandably, musicians can be totally overwhelmed by all of these elements. Who feels overwhelmed by that stuff? We're, yeah, Georgia does. Okay, there we go. There, there's some hands. Um, so can you share how you've learned all of that as you go? Because I'm going to guess that didn't, all that knowledge didn't happen overnight. Yeah, absolutely not, no. Um, I think, you know, it's just been about trial and error, really, as I've gone along, release by release. I've learned a little bit more, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, you know, there's times as independent artists as well, you know, where you'll waste money too, you know. There's, there's been times where I've gone with a PR company yeah. to do my PR and then not realise that, you know, you can't just go with any PR company. It needs to be a PR company that's aligned with your values, your genre, maybe have the right type of contacts, yep. you know. So it's just been a case of learning this as, as I've gone along. And mm -hmm. when I did my first PR, campaign for example you know you get the report back at the end yeah. and um, I remember the first campaign actually shared the, the details with me and I thought to myself well I could do that myself next time I've got the details yep. now they, they're aware of who I am now mm -hmm. so maybe next time to save a bit of money I'll actually do my own PR so it was just just figuring these things out as I've gone along basically but yeah I do feel like it can be very overwhelming especially when you're contending with the algorithms and wanting to kind of build momentum. Mm -hmm. um, but I suppose what I'd say for that is, and this is what I'm going to be doing going ahead, taking my own advice, is it's about getting ready first, maybe getting a good few songs under your belt ready mm -hmm. so that when it does come to releasing, you've got quite a bit of music to be putting out. That way you're not 
trying to be creative and in the middle of a campaign at the same time. Otherwise, you're kind of trying to straddle two hats. But, you know, I think when it comes to that creative space and that creative time, it's about really protecting that. So mm-hmm. for me, for example, um, if I've got a busy week with admin and answering emails and all that type of thing, because, you know, you can be your own manager as well. Um, if I want to then get creative, I might then say Thursday, Friday, Saturday to be creative. Yeah. I might need three days in a row. Mm-hmm. But what that means is I'm not answering my messages on those days. Right. That's just how I work anyway, Good. because it allows me then to stay in that creative space mm-hmm. while I'm doing that. And then go back maybe on Monday into doing the admin. And I find that way I get more done rather than scattering my thoughts and my energy. Mm-hmm. I am totally the same way, even though I'm not an artist. I mean, my version is, and it, this should not sound radical, I don't work on weekends mm-hmm. or I don't work late at night. And again, that makes me more focused. I'm able to communicate more clearly with, I like how you call it, the admin work on you know Monday through Thursday. I also have been... I've been better about this. I've been taking Fridays off recently, which is amazing. And it's also nice to use that time for a doctor's appointment or something, you know, just those time, uh, you know, that time to, to really, um, you know, take care of yourself. So how do you balance being an artist with your leadership roles in the industry? I mean, you know, you just talked about that with yeah. time management. Yeah. And it's not always been easy. I must say as my portfolio career was opening up into new avenues, such yeah. as project delivery and, and producing projects, mm-hmm. um, there was a period where that was starting to take away from the yeah. music. Um, naturally, I started to get quite frustrated with that. Yeah. And then it was just about, okay, let, let's look at this head mm-hmm. on and let's reprioritize. Um, so it's just about, yeah, if, if that frustration comes up or you feel out of line and out of balance, it's about not ignoring it, looking at that yeah. and addressing it. Uh, and for me, the biggest thing that helps me be able to do both is boundaries. And I talk yes. about boundaries all the time, but they are so important. Mm-hmm. Boundaries of myself too, you know, as well as others. Um, And actually, I had to just learn to be comfortable saying no to stuff. And also realise that I can't be everywhere at once Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And, you know, I think this year particularly, what I've learned is, you know, if I've got an offer to go to an event or, you know, someone said, can you come and watch my gig? Of course, I love to go out and see things and be inspired. Mm -hmm. But when I was looking at it, I'm like, am I actually going to things that are leaving me feeling inspired that right. I may be aligned with the route I'm going down. And it's not saying I'm only going to go out and listen to soul music because I make soul music. No, but I do need to make sure that I'm prioritising getting those things in the diary, that I'm that I'm mixing in those scenes, meeting mm-hmm. people in those areas. So, yeah, it's very much been about boundaries, prioritisation, yes. and making sure that I protect that space yes. for my creative time. Absolutely. I mean, to me, it's energy management. You know, like I'm very mindful about that. And then you're so right about boundaries. Like I deliberately um, for the second half of July and August um, told our teams, I'm not available for calls because I'm going to write the second edition of this book, you know, and it was so great to like live a writer's life and actually just have that to focus on. Um, But I did actually want to follow up with something from two questions ago. I knew I had a follow up. 
Um, I want to touch on PR for a second, because um, I know we're traveling around doing these episodes. So in particular, for the audience, uh, for the live audience, that's going to be episode seven. Um, I think it's really important um, when it comes to PR to ask yourself why you are interested in PR, because, um, you know, like, again, in the pre-digital era, if you were in the NME or Rolling Stone or Spin Magazine, like, you're going to sell CDs. You're going to sell physical music. And now, you know, it's like, I'm not saying this is easy, but, like, a funny meme could actually take you further than, you know, a publicist that you're paying um, to pitch your music. So for me, PR is very much a tool when I'm working with artists. So, like, first, I can't believe I still have publicist friends after this, but they, they actually really like the book. They like the PR section um, because I am informing, informing you some of this stuff, except for, I'm, again, I'm surprised they are okay with what I'm about to say, which is they're overcharging you, okay? So when you get a quote for thousands of pounds, um, see if you can get it down to 1,000 pounds a month, 1,500 pounds a month. But again, like, what is the goal, right? And for me, the goal is um, when an artist is working with a publicist, um, you know, I say to the publicist, well, first, you have to be upfront with them if you have landed press yourself on things. Because I've also seen that happen, where an artist hires a publicist, the publicist goes out and gets press, and the artist is like, oh, I already know all those journalists. So you need to be clear in your, with your communication and clear with your goals when you're meeting with publicists. But back to the tool, which is the whole point. So when I work with an artist publicist, I'm like, hey, can we try to land you know, a press hit or two or three, and then I can take that out to booking agents, to sync companies, to music publishers, you know, for grants, for arts councils, different things like that. Um, and then, you know, what Sinead said so brilliantly is like, you actually have access to this information now. So when you land press, whether it's on your own or working with someone or working with an intern or, or you know, uh, an enthusiastic fan on a professional path, um, grab the email address of that journalist and pop it in a Google spreadsheet. I mean, when I was managing artists, we used to call that um, the fancy friends spreadsheet. Um, so whether it's, you know, a blogger, music supervisor, journalist, and if you're work, you know, like Sinead said, if you're working with a publicist and then don't have a budget or don't want to spend um, on a publicist later, you're building your own database and Rolodex of contacts that already support you, right? So maybe even if you did have a budget around the album release, but maybe you don't later when you have a tour you want to promote or a music video, like, they love hearing from you. Like, they're, ex they're way more excited to hear from Sinead than to hear from publicists that are pitching them all day. They're way more excited to hear from you as an artist. So just keep those messages, you know, short and to the point. Um, send them on Mondays or Tuesdays. If you're not able to send them then, there's great tools like Boomerang for Gmail, which is free, where you can schedule your emails um, to go out on you know, Monday, midday, Tuesday, midday. You don't want to be doing it on Fridays, weekends, holidays, because it's just going to get lost in the inbox. But yeah, build up your own I'm going to sound old, but Rolodex, right? Your own database of tastemakers um, that support you. So when you're doing all that and doing all that you do, what does wellness mean to you? Wellness is, I'd say, the center of my life. Um, it's so important. And I do feel like the music industry is 
difficult. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a difficult industry to be in and maintain uh, health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see it around me a lot. And yeah, I um, because I prioritise my wellness, um, yeah, I think not only does it help me stay in tune with what's authentic to me, yeah. make better work as well. So that's the mm-hmm. key thing, you know, staying well means better work. Um, but it also means that I can really give yeah. to people. Mm-hmm. And ultimately for me, I, I always come back to my why. Yeah. Why am I doing this? Why do I want to make music? Well, of course, I love it. It lights me up. It fills me with joy. But because I enter this space, this whole different world, there's nothing else in the room when I'm performing. I'm just, yeah. it's almost like I enter into a different dimension. Mm-hmm. How I then connect with an audience and then when people connect with me and I see what it does for them, that is actually what motivates me. It's yeah. about giving it away, giving the gift away, mm-hmm. inspiring people. And, and for me, that's, that's the driving force and that's the why. And obviously, like, having something to say as well and having a message, you know? Um, so when I think of that as the driving force and I think of my family, you know, be so proud and it's like that's there at the core. And in order to be able to do that, I have to focus on wellness. That's right. And if, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of others. And my daily routine is, it started so I could like perform as optimally as possible and also support my mental health, you know? So, um, yeah, you know, you said, I know this is a podcast episode in and of itself, but um, you said the music industry can be difficult. What are, you know, what do you mean by that? What are some difficulties? I think there's so many elements to that, but yeah. I think, you know, whether it's certain characters that are maybe out for what they can get, um, outdated notions of who should be doing what, mm-hmm. um, you know, inequality, yeah. um, unrealistic standards, um, the saturation, you know, that's out there at the moment. So people trying to be heard above the noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, people that, you know, it can be expensive as well. So yeah. if you're an independent artist, you may be working a, a job that might be full-time whilst trying to make music. And mm-hmm. that's going to put a lot of strain on people's bodies and mental health. Um, and I think, you know, maybe not everyone's been lucky enough to find tools as well that yeah. can help them with stress management. So when you're contending with that, you know, really, how do you have the space to look into your values and, you know, connecting with what, what your heart's saying? Because there's going to be all this noise in the way, you know? Um, so, yeah, I just think there's so many facets to what makes the music industry difficult. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I could go on and on, but like you say, it could be an episode in itself. Um, but yeah, there's so many elements to that. And I think wellness practices can get overwhelming too, which is totally not the point. So maybe pick one and see how you feel. You know, it could be 10 seconds of meditation, you know, just closing your eyes and focusing on your breath. I took a five minute meditation break in the loo before filming this, you know, like it doesn't always have to be some. Um, big production. Yeah, honestly, for me, the, the biggest wellness thing I could have done is say no to things. Yes. And that's, you don't need to be, <laughs> you know, trained in anything to say no. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So last question for me, and then we'll open it up to any audience questions. What does getting your art together mean to you? 
Oh, getting your art together. I think for me, it's about, it's about, for me, it's about being a conduit yeah. for what wants to come through me. And that can only come through me because we're all unique in our own way and we all have a story to tell. So getting your art together is about creating something that is the truest, most authentic expression of your soul and what you've got to put out into the world. And it's, that's important because it needs to be heard. If you've got a burning desire inside, then it's important that you get your art together and it's important that it's there for people to enjoy. Wow. And it's important you give your gift away. So beautiful and powerful. I could not have said it better myself. Um, we didn't plan for audience questions with our lovely sound people, so I apologize for that. Can I bring a mic into the audience or should I repeat what they say? Oh, Kieran's going to help us. Thank you. You can take that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, does anyone have any... Here, I'm going to share with you. Does anyone have any questions for Sinead or myself? And it doesn't just have to be on this topic because you only have me tonight here in Bradford. We covered it. We're experts on the entire modern music industry or... What works for you? What does getting your art together mean to you? Oh, come on, English people. Don't be so shy. There we go. Um, yeah, I was just um, wondering, what's um, the biggest difference between the music industry over here as opposed to in the USA? Is it like the same grassroots situation? Thank you, Kieran. Thank you. Yeah, smart. Um, that's a great question. I lived here 20 years ago, so I, I don't know if I have that perspective yet. I could probably answer that better at the end of this tour. Um, there's some similarities. I mean, I, I do feel like you guys tend to be kind of label heavy, um, you know, thinking like you, and, you know, tell me if I'm wrong here, um, thinking that you have to be signed. Oh, we have to talk to this guy from EMI or whatever. Um, but it does seem like there is um, eagerness to learn this knowledge, right? And I'm not just saying this because I'm here because of the word folks, but like that's what they're trying to do too, right? They want to educate, they want to inform because I should have stats on this, but I don't, like probably 1% of artists are signed, right? And even those, um, you know, many don't own their rights. Um, we'll talk about this in episode six, the distribution episode, but if you're with a major label, you know, they keep roughly 90% and you keep 10%, right? And so now you can own your rights. Um, you, can, you can flip that percentage. Um, so I just think the knowledge is, is spreading. Um, I do think you guys are more informed than a lot of the countries I hear from, you know, like we have listeners in Southeast Asia and in Africa, you guys have great, um, you know, music conferences, but um, you also have really amazing music. Um, I mean, that's not necessarily a difference, but like, I've just always been so blown away by how, in my opinion, some of the, uh, you know, easily, arguably some of the greatest artists of all time come from this island you know, from this, this small place. So you're also a very, um, I know everybody loves music, but like you're a really music loving people. You know, I feel, I, I saw like a older woman today with a walker wearing a Rolling Stones shirt, you know, like it doesn't matter the age or class or where, you from, where you're from. It just feels like everyone really, really loves music here. But um, I will answer that question. I'll make a note and answer that question uh, after the season finale, episode 12, after I've 
tour it all around and I can give you a more up, updated perspective. Have you been to the US? Okay. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you want to try to answer that? Do you have any, like, or any thoughts on the UK music industry? Yeah. Um, I, I think I just mirror what you've said, really. And I agree with what you said about the UK. I think, I think you're spot on, you know. Um, we do have a really great growing talent development DIY scene as well, which is really useful. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm aware at the moment that there's lots of conversations happening about how we also take um, some of the, I say the power, we can't take the power away from London, but how we spread some of the opportunities around the rest of the UK. And that's a brilliant thing as well. So yeah, I think um, the UK is a brilliant place for music. There's so many great stars that have come out of the UK. So yeah, I totally agree. I'll just add, again, don't forget about Bon Iver in northern Wisconsin. Like, Bradford is way bigger than Eau Claire, Wisconsin. So, I, it's, this happens in America all the time. People are like, oh, well, I'm not in New York, or I'm not in L.A., or I'm not in Nashville. And I interviewed Justin Vernon from Bon Iver on this podcast, which was totally organic, because I was teaching a music management course at New York University, and the students asked me, they're like, do we have to live in this expensive city? And so I asked Justin Vernon that question because um, I remember meeting his first manager at South by Southwest. It was 15 years ago, but still. Um, you know, at that time, you could get a room in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You could rent a room for, let's see if I can convert it, you know, like 300, 400 pounds a month. And um, Bon Iver's manager had a mortgage on a house for like a hundred pounds a month. And I was like, what are you talking about? So I asked Justin that question and he actually like jokingly laughed at the students. He was like, ha ha, you know? So it's like, again, to me, he just totally defines it. You can have a career from anywhere. And I think another big difference, which we highlighted is you have access to these community programs, to these grants, to this like amazing art center that I know is expanding, you know, here, here in Bradford. Um, so yeah, you guys have a lot of good stuff going on. Anyone else? Yeah. Pass the mic. Hello. Uh, hi, I'm Charlotte. I'm from Bradford Music Scene. We're um, a non-profit organization in Bradford promoting artists music venues and everything and I'm really interested in thinking about um, like the live gigging scene and do you think do musicians still need to be performing live to be seen as a valid artist or you know can you just be one that nobody sees anymore do want, sorry do you want to start with that yeah I'll start with that one um I think personally for me I think it's um, it can be genre dependent I must say if you're maybe making some type of experimental soundscapes, then maybe you might get away with being mostly online and, and putting your music forward to different forums and online platforms and that type of thing. However, I think if you're an artist wanting to really build a strong connection and fan base with an audience, it's, live is really, really important still. Um, and for me nothing beats having a connection with people in a room that can feel my energy and I can feel theirs and I think when you go to a great gig or even when I go to see a headline act for example and they have a support act that comes on first and I love it when the support act absolutely blows me out of the park and I love what they've done because that will convert me there and then into a fan now I can't think of many times where I've been scrolling on Instagram and being caught in that same way where I've heard, say, saw an ad 
and I've gone, wow, I am a fan, like instantly here and now. Do you know what I mean? It takes time. I might be, I might stop and think, oh, okay, that might be my vibe. I might like their page, but then it, it has to go on a journey of back and forth between, okay, I might have to see a few of their posts. I might have to then be intrigued to watch a few of their stories, but then it takes time to build that. Um, whilst if you can get in front of people and really make an impression in person, that can be an instant relationship, basically, foundation you're building with that. And especially if you can get, I think, on support gigs for bigger names where you can get in front of their audiences, festival slots, just getting out to people, especially if it's relevant for your genre as well. And I know that's something I'm going to be looking at going forward, um, going into a totally new genre. I'm very much doing my research now on the scenes you know in the soul area I need to know where to be going who to be mixing with what crowds to be going to what what venues I want to play at you know so um I think the live scene is so important uh, and I know it's such a tricky time for grassroots venues at the moment as well so I think it's really important that you know the bigger venues step in the labels step in to support the grassroots venues because we can't lose them especially in the UK they're such a key part of the ecosystem in acts growing and building their fan bases and becoming the big stars we have without the grassroots venues we wouldn't have had a lot of them so I think they're so important um, great question and thank you for the work that you're doing um, like Sinead said I think it depends on the genre um, and you know but there's ways to be much smarter about playing live not playing like not the performing part um and also touring more efficiently right so you know first start to build it up yourself start playing a pub an open mic right um and when you're ready that I mean that's the equivalent of getting your art together right like practice makes perfect and then when you're ready um to do a big show you know big show like you know, show you're going to focus on, focus on that, you know, like, again, it might be different if you're a jazz artist, but you don't want to be doing residencies every single week. You want to support that venue by putting all your eggs and support yourself by putting all your eggs in that basket, right? Um, so focus on that show, tie it into a release, something special, invite everyone you know. Um, I remember my friend Emmeline Brodsky packed the Mercury Lounge in New York City and she's like, there's my grandmother, there's my best friend. I mean, she's from New York. Um, and collect, and this is the sustainable part of building a, a music career forever. Collect as many email addresses and mobile phone numbers as you can. I don't care if there's two people in the audience or 200, that is your lifeblood because Tech companies are the most valuable companies in the world. Why? Because they have all of that information. They have all of your fans' contact info. And, you know, I see the biggest, uh, the biggest artists in the world um, all running pre-orders for their music because they are monetizing it um, before it's even out. I told this story when I was recording season two in January, but it's going to be a little more relevant to this crowd. I love Noel Gallagher. I'm obsessed with Noel Gallagher. And I got an email from their email list in January announcing his album for June. And you could buy it anywhere from 10 pounds up to 150 pounds, you know, with tickets and different color vinyl and all these things. And I thought, the amount of money they are going to make in the next six months before this album is even out. And for, you know, maybe some of our listeners that don't know who Noel is, it's like, yeah, the guy who wrote Wonderwall doesn't necessarily need that money. But like I said, Taylor Swift is running these pre-orders. Beyonce is running these pre-orders. And it's, 
And that's why um, those artists are collecting that contact information, right? So you have to be savvy about that at your gigs. I really like the platform community for, um, for texting and, and text message lists because it was built for music and musicians. And I really like MailChimp um, for email lists because that's free to get started. I think it's free up to like 2,000 email addresses. So be savvy about that and then be strategic. You know, once you crush it on that show and you have your grandma there and you have your friends there and you're collecting that data, instead of just being like, okay, well let's, you know, drive down or whatever to London because that's where we should go. Um, you have a huge advantage uh, where you are, you know, start playing Manchester, start playing Liverpool and don't just go and play there or look at a old spreadsheet on, you know, artists to play with. I really love the platform chart metric because you can type in any location that is in Google Maps and see the top trending artists wherever. And then once you're selling some tickets here in Bradford, you can reach out to an artist, even in Leeds, right? And say, hey, I'm good for 50 tickets here in Bradford. Can I come support you? Can I come open for you in Leeds? And you can come do the same for me. So you can set up these gig swaps. And it is amazing and also heartbreaking from a racism and sexism standpoint, when you look at this data on the top trending artists and what people are listening to where, um, there are so many artists. You know, again, the example that I always use is when I first downloaded that data in my home city of Milwaukee, the artists that I'd heard of that are like the Milwaukee artists to watch at South by Southwest were way at the bottom. They don't really have fans, but they know how to... Um, take a cool press shot of a piano in the river and hire a publicist or whatever, right? Like the number one trending artist in Milwaukee, by far crushing everyone, is a Latin hip hop group called Quinto Soul that I've never seen written about ever, right? So people in the Midwest, in the US, you want to open for Quinto Soul. You don't want to open for the guys that can get good press and are way at the bottom and don't have fans. So really pay attention to that data. And then you can apply that nationally. You can apply that internationally, right? Like as you build up, okay, then you are ready for London. As you build up from there, you can set up gig swaps with people in Paris. I mean, you are at such an advantage with all of these locations around you in the UK and then having Europe so close by as well. That, I mean, that's definitely a big difference between the UK and the US. The US is freaking big. And I give um, artists, you know, a lot of advice to hold back on like, you know, maybe don't go to California right away. Like I have been in tour buses and driven across the US. It takes days, right? So like in the US, and I think the UK is very similar, um, like 80% of the largest touring markets are east of the Mississippi River. So tour there, it's gonna save you on gas, right? But anyway, that's all long-winded to say, focus on data, don't just like go into it, you know, with, with closed eyes. And one last thing, if you are unable to tour for any reason, you know, disability, childcare, the webcasting space has exploded. Um, so we're also gonna be talking a lot about that um, in episode eight, the, the live episode, uh, but I really like the platform Veeps uh, to get rolling with webcasting. You could start doing some free stuff. Again, collect as many email addresses and phone numbers as you can, shout that out, utilize social media to your, to your advantage. We're gonna talk about that 
in the next episode and in episode five, or sorry, seven, when we talk about marketing, um, and then build it up to a donation-based uh, webcast or some sort of special webcast or, or a ticketed uh, webcast. Um, any other questions before we wrap it up? Yeah, one more question. I think you're good. Thank you, Kieran. Oh, thank you very much. Um, can I ask you two questions, if you don't mind? Sure. <laughs> the first question is, um, what do you think about the, mu the music video sort of aspect of the music industry at the moment? Do you think that's gone a bit dead since TikTok? So that's my first question. And the second, uh, second question is, um, do you think AI is a threat to the music industry? And how, effecti how effective do you think it is? in your experience? Thank you. Great questions. I'm, I'm gonna give that to you first, if that's, if that's cool. Absolutely. So yeah, TikTok and music videos. Um, music videos are actually some of my favorite things to do <laughs> creatively, um, but I really see your point there. I think um, it, again, can be dependent. You know, it depends where your fan base lies. If you've got a lot of YouTube subscribers, for example, <laughs> then, you know, putting a music video out, um, can be great and lucrative. Um, I do think there are ways to make a music video go further as well. I will often chop up my music video into lots of little teasers um, and you can put them out as reels. Um, you know, you can get the, the BTs behind the scenes of making your music video. You could maybe do reels um, picking apart the music video and talking about what inspired you or why you chose to shoot it in a certain place. So I do think in today's world of reels and TikTok, you can be more smart with how you make a music video go further. Um, it's always a shame when you kind of see artists put it out, post once about it and that's it. It kind of falls into the ether. Um, and yeah, but now having TikTok and, and Reels, I do feel like, you know, if you, you're, you're creative, you don't necessarily even need to, to do a music video. Um, I think for me going forward, what I will do is I'll probably, for my main single, I'll do a music video. But for the other songs, maybe I'll just stick to Reels and other types of creative content. Um, so yeah, I think that's the key thing, really, making your music video go further or doing it for a special release or a big moment or when you've hit um, a momentum spot in your career where putting that bit of investment into that um, is really going to help take you that little bit further. Um, but I don't think nowadays that the music video is as powerful as it used to be um, because of social media. Oh, AI as well, yeah. Um, <laughs> I do... Oh, it's a funny one with AI. Because I know you can literally type into AI and ask it to write you a song. Um, and I've heard the versions of, um, for example, Michael Jackson's voice um, being used to, to make new music. I feel when I listen to AI-generated content that there's just something missing for me. It must be the soul aspect or the aliveness, but there's something about it. I can just kind of tell that it's not... Um, there's something missing. And for me, I don't think AI can replace what us humans have. And that, that key thing is that aliveness and that soul and that emotion. And I don't think 
well not yet anyway maybe one day it'll get to that point but as it stands right now I don't think we're there with that and I think as humans our story and our uniqueness is what can shine through so I think as an artist if you're truly putting yourself on the line and truly being authentic and you know stretching your boundaries I don't think you need to be afraid of AI you know coming in to replace you because there's always going to be a want and need for that for other humans to connect with humans but AI can be very helpful too. <laughs> well, how can it be helpful? Um, for me, um, it's been useful in um, sometimes just asking questions, you know. I've, I've been on to chat GPT and been like, oh, hi, like, what do you think about this? Or um, it even did me a little workout plan. <laughs> it was quite, it was good as well. Um, I've sometimes used it for um, rewording stuff. If I'm thinking, oh, I'm just doing a bit of a bio. First, it has to come from me. So it's no, I can't just go in and say, can you write me a bio? Because that's where I think people can see through that, you know, and that's no good in my opinion. However, if I've spent an hour on a bio or, you know, I've got something I want to tweak and I then go to AI and say, actually, I want this to sound a little bit more structured or I'm struggling a little bit here. It's actually been useful at times. I've not used it on a bio specifically that's a random example I've just given but um but yeah I've, I've actually found it useful but it should never replace the creativity and the story and the authenticity that has to come first it's a tool it's an addition it's not a replacement in my opinion but yeah that's where we're at now that's in 2023 I could be saying something else in 10 years Brilliant and beautifully said. Um, so when it comes to videos, it really breaks my heart to say this because like one of my best girlfriends is an amazing video director, but I just don't think you should be spending too much, right? So again, in the pre-digital era, um, there was a return on investment, right? If you got played on MTV or VH1, now they don't even play music videos. And obviously content is basically infinite. And the Cameras that we have on our smartphones are nicer than what um, than the cameras that folks had in that you know MTV VH1 era, right? So don't forget that. Um, but you know I don't want to mess with anyone's creative vision. So you, especially here, you can apply for a grant, reach out to a film program, see if there's any film students looking to build up their reel. So you know, to me, it just goes back to getting your art together, right? Like, is this an extension of you and your art and your creative spirit? And it, and if you want or you have means to spend on that, you know, go for it. But it's kind of like my podcast manager will give the advice sometimes: Would you still make this? you know, a podcast if no one listened, right? So I think if you're going to spend on a video, it shouldn't be because you think you're going to get a return on investment. It's because it's like, this is a creative extension of, of my soul and my spirit. Although I interviewed an, a really amazing artist named Zoe Keating for the forward um, of this book, and she defines building a, a sustainable music career, whether you've heard of her or not. She's a solo cellist um, that does extremely well and she's never made a music video. And, and she articulated that really well. For her, she felt very like sexualized as a woman, especially, especially coming up in the 90s and um, at the beginning of this century. And it's just, she felt um, like it was kind of taking away from her soul, you know? And she also lands a lot of sync placements. And so she, she watches her music get placed with picture in, in other ways. So yeah, I think like, 
listen to your heart um, and your intuition on that one. But again, it crushes me to say this. Don't overspend on it because you have these amazing, you know, cameras on, on smartphones. And then when it comes to AI, you know... I mean, it's so much bigger than Internet 2.0, but it, it reminds me of Internet 2.0 where there, there's these different camps. So, um, you know, on one hand in the U.S., we are, I, I believe President Biden just put out an executive order um, where AI content has to be labeled as that. And I'm part of the Authors Guild um, in New York and in the U.S., and I had seen that idea floated where we almost have like a fair trade sticker. Like, you know a human wrote this book, you know a human wrote and, and sings on this song. But I also was on a panel in the U.S. Um, with an artist talking about how he created an entire orchestra and he's like, I never would have been able to afford that to bring my entire creative vision to life. So I don't know. I don't think it's going to be one or the other or it's going to be Terminator. I mean, or it's actually going to be Terminator and like destroy us all. There's like even bigger issues. But um, look, like when you think about the artists that you love, there is that personal touch and that personal connection to whether it's the live show um, or, or even it feels like weird to say this, that like that special, special relationship you can have online too. And, you know, I can see that AI is literally in its infancy. Um, and so this is, it's getting smarter every day. We all know that, but I had an, int, uh, I had a student email me, um, after I spoke in their class and he applied for an internship with us. And I wrote back and I said, did you use AI to send this email? And he doubled down and wrote back with AI talking about how important it is. And I was like, just talk to me like a human because it's really freaking obvious, you know? Um, so I think it goes back to the heart of this episode, right? Like, um, you know, what's true to you, but we also use AI all the time, right? Like whether it's, you know... Um, knows what we're about to Google and it's, you know, predict, predicting what you're typing. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily like one thing or the other. I think there are some advantages that real artists can utilize with it, if that makes sense. So um, that's a wrap for the season premiere of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams, uh, season four. I want to thank Whiskers, Kieran, Gail, Alex, and all here at Cala Sangham in Bradford. Also want to thank The Word from the Ivers Academy, Howard Monk, Ian Mack, my podcast manager, Mike Zimmerlich, producer Lilia Isa, and of course, the incomparable Sinead Campbell. Um, join us tomorrow in Cambridge, England at Angela Ruskin University's Music Recital Hall, where we'll discuss pre-recording marketing foundation at 4 p.m. with Jonathan Zerwick and Emily Fraser, who will also be delivering a treat by uh, each performing a song. So if you feel like making the drive to Cambridge, we'll be there. But otherwise, let's give it up for Sinead.